Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well-suited you were for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can take a quiz by going to my website at sumatisparks.com. Right on the homepage, there's a free quiz, and it'll tell you how suited you are for ethical non-monogamy and also allow you to sign up for my mailing list so you can be the first to learn about my online events as well as my local events in the San Francisco Bay Area. So tonight I'm really excited to have back again on my show, who's uh, been absent for over a year, uh, David Amiri. David Amiri has been coaching and counseling individuals, couples, and polypods for three decades. And he now leads trainings and workshops on Tantra and spiritual awakening. He's been living poly successfully all his adult life and co-founded a land-based community in the 90s with the people who made up the word polyamory. <laughs> Welcome to the show, David. Welcome back. Hi, Timothy. I am just delighted to be here. It's a pleasure to connect with you and others who are interested in expansive uh, love spots. So glad to have you back. So since you were on the show over a year ago, you spent a lot of time traveling and you also got married. So tell us how your teachings have changed from your travels and your new relationship. Goodness gracious. Well, I'm married. Well, that's a big question. What more can, can I say? It's a huge question. Uh, I spent about a year living in Seattle. I was on the road for a long time, actually, before then. I forget when our last interview was, but I was living near Harbin Hot Springs in Northern California, right up until that terrible fire that burned it down along with 1,200 houses in the neighborhood. And that fire was in my backyard, 10 feet from my house, when I finally drove off that day. And I toured around for, I don't know, maybe about a year at that time, and landed in Seattle, set up a Tantra temple there. It was called Devonta. And that's actually where I met this and my beloved, and we were there for a good long time. She ended up moving in, but we left in, in March. It had run its course, and things had unfolded that wanted us to head back out on the road. So we've been on tour continuously since March. We just ended that tour at the end of July, and we've landed now back in Northern California, actually Sacramento, uh, but I'll be back in my own stomping grounds all around the Bay Area, Monday, Spain, around the Bay. And uh, the other news is that, Lucy, this is kind of a breaking news. We have This is like everybody in our lives know, but it's not hasn't been fully public before now. Lucy is pregnant. We're pregnant. Wow. <laughs> and I love wow. that. It's, Kind of unbelievable uh, wow. stroke of fortune that was as unexpected as anything in my life. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So we're going to take a little period of time here where I'm restructuring a lot. I, you know, I teach these trainings, these puncture trainings that have four levels, and I teach a three-and-a-half-month mentorship and a lot of healing arts, and those were 
wonderful programs, but things are going through a big restructure now, and I'm hunkering in, focusing on my private practice and getting some enterprise-grade infrastructure in to go along with the expansion, and uh, within a few months, I'll start, I'll start uh, letting some of the cat out of the bag and, and introducing some of the new structure for trainings. Nice. Well, I'm sure your teaching has, has shifted since you've been traveling and teaching in other cities and other communities, other cultures. I know, you know, Oregon and Washington and, and Vancouver are so close and yet so far. I just spent some time in Oregon uh, for two weeks. And even though it's just a one-day drive, it's still a different culture. And there's significant differences in the communities there. So I'm wondering how being in those different cultures and teaching in them has affected what you teach at all, and, and what are some of the things you learn from being in different communities? Well, gosh, when I think back on my time in those communities, I think about the people and all the beloved beings of my hosts and organizers and attendees, and I don't know that the teaching evolved that much as a result of being in those different microcultures. Uh, but the teaching evolves as a result of doing these workshops and trainings over and over and working with more people and working with diverse people. Uh, it was very exciting. Of course, they are very different cultures. But I've done this for a long time. You know, the Big Island is another place that I hit. And Las oh, Vegas right. is an amazing place that I had no idea was such a wonderful counterculture, wonderful consciousness community around Vegas, which everybody thinks of the strip, and it's like, no, there's a lot of people there who couldn't care about that, and it's a beautiful, right. wholesome community with more healthy food than you can shake a stick at, and wow. really great people, so I'm excited about going back there in November, as in October and November, I'll be a, <coughs> a part of things, I'll be doing some workshops there again. So you're kind of polyamorous with various cities around the country. <laughs> you know, I, it's, I guess it's a part of my character. So I, and that's how I am with <laughs> spiritual traditions, too. I mean, I like variety. I'm not really all that promiscuous. It's, it's, uh, I mean, I had a period where I was dating a lot of different people and having all different kinds of short relationships, long relationships, always heartfelt, always serious about um, being on the foundation of friendship and authentic heart connection, but very different uh, shapes of uh, relationships and people. <laughs> and uh, now I just feel really <coughs> so in love without an object much of the time that uh, awesome. I'm not looking for anything in a relationship, I'm more just interested in the relating and wanting to follow it where it mutually wants to go. Uh, and it's a high bar for me for it to want to go all the way to intercourse. There's kind of nothing to prove and nothing to get to. I'm just really interested in the heart connecting. And if anything becomes juicy, that's kind of the cherry on the cake. I'm, I'm enjoying uh, the relating. That's beautiful. I like that you brought that up, especially as a person in a male body. I was just talking to my dear friend, Jan Robinson, who I've had on the show. We were just talking earlier today about, uh, I forget what she calls it, the, 
the moon sexual type or the sun sexual type. And the moon type is more mm. like wanting that full connection. And I was talking about some of the romances that I developed um, when I was in Oregon um, earlier this month and how much I'm learning about myself, especially as a postmenopausal woman, that I feel my sexuality arises from my whole being being wanted and accepted and long periods of, of uh, touch and connection. And then some people, like when I was younger, I was more sun, you know, more genital focused and like, let's get to sex. And now it's like, I care less whether we have sex or not. I can have an awesome time just doing contact improv with somebody for two hours. <laughs> I think there's a hallmark of, of maturity there, actually, an integration. You know, I, I really like Jan. She was awesome. I know, I know Jan. Uh, I think to myself, what if the sun and the moon had a, an immense love affair and, yes. and were married forever in our own heart? That would be the kind of sexuality I'd be interested in. And maybe yes. I'd be experiencing that eros extending out in all directions from the center of my experience uh, and it doesn't have to take the form of genital stimulation, but when it does, that's wonderful. You know what I think to myself is the really, really tasty bits, the things that are ecstatic, that really fulfill us, body and soul, are where we're in the 100% hell yes zone in the mutuality between us, when there's yeah. something that we're surrendering to that is the shape of the energy that wants to arise between myself and another, and it gets to where I'm so clear about that, there's just nothing I'm even interested in at like the 98% hell yes. It's like, can we go a little bit back from that to the place where we're both 100-100? That's where I'm getting the most pleasure, the most fulfillment, the most of everything that I long for, and just stay there. Awesome. That's beautiful. So that's a good segue. Um, I would like you to tell us more about, since we, we named the show um, after your upcoming course, Tribal Eros Awakened Polyamory. So um, maybe you could start by just giving us a general description of what is um, Tribal Eros awakened polyamory you know it's kind of a branding line because it sounds good and people are into the tribal spirit of things but it has a deep meaning to me it really does mean something deep because i talk and think about returning to our indigenous self what i call our indigenous self which has nothing to do like living with living like ancient tribal peoples or any specific region or specific tribe, there's a kind of a neo-tribalism, a kind of a reawakening of living like a tribe, like a village in a really connected way and connected with the earth and connected with each other and connected with our innate sensibilities like every other mammal does, in fact. Living like uh, mammals thriving in our ecosystem and outside of social paradigms even. The, the tribal eros, the eros itself for me is just the life force. It's not, it, it, it is erotic, but everything in life is erotic to me. The trees, the birds, the rushing rivers, the 
life is burgeoning with arrows. Life is overflowing and spilling across the whole landscape with myriads of expressions seeking their creative fulfillment and seeking union. And that's like us, because we are. And there's a way of entering into the flow of that eros, which is fulfilling in and of itself, which is fulfilling in a way that is what we normally think of what we want from a sexual relationship. That is the vividness, the presence, the, the deep sense of connection, even love, the sense that there's an ocean of love that surrounds and connects us, and there's this flow of energy that is following a stream of passion. That's what we really want. That's what we want from a sexual connection. That's what we want from an intimate beloved. But we can have that in any circumstance. And then when we do encounter others where there's chemistry, where there's attraction, there can be a much greater openness in what is mutual between us. Do we have to nail it to a shape? Do we have to make agreements of a familiar type? Do we have to put it in a pigeonhole and negotiate veto power and things like this? It's not that I'm against agreements. I'm a big fan of agreements and containers and commitments. I just think that they should follow the energy of a relationship rather than try to lead it. And I'm not in favor of control systems. I think as soon as we exercise the veto power and pull the emergency brake, we're in some level of power struggle with each other. We don't have to if we learn the skills of trusting, building a trusting container with another where what we trust in is the transparency and the mutuality. Like everything's on the table and we want to know what longings are arising and we want to find a mutual way to move through that that really respects everyone who's affected. It can be much more fluid than we think. And so this is what you mean by awakened polyamory. So it would include things like transparency, um, not, not controlling each other. Um, and I know you also have technologies around dealing with triggers and stuff. So maybe you can talk a little bit more by what you mean by awakened polyamory. We have to take a look at what I mean by awakening because spiritual awakening is a big deal. It's the thing that everybody perhaps needs, not perhaps, Without question, it's our deepest longing. We're longing for union. Could be that all longings can be followed back to that one. And people have pursued that in all different kinds of ways forever. Um, But we think it might be some, sometimes we think it might be something far away or something extreme or something that is kind of like being on drugs or having our fingers plugged in a light socket uh, uh, and far above what we're used to. I think of it as something that's very, very dropped into our embodied space. It's very, very simple and very, very connected. And awakening is, if it's about union, it's about connection, our connection with ourselves and our authentic contact with the environment. And that can deepen to the point where the sense of an ego identity, the sense of needing a self definition can fall away. What do I need an identity for? I have my experience of myself. That's open-ended. It's evolving. I can experience it now. 
it doesn't have need to have walls to it. It's got a sensor to it already, and it's got a sensor that's always deepening, and it stretches out in all directions. We're evolving processes, and we are connected with everything. We don't actually need to do anything to achieve that. We need to notice what we're doing that interrupts our experience of that and learn how to relax those activities. And the way that I say it is the things that interrupt our connection with ourselves and with others around us and our environment, that's our beliefs, conditioning, identities, and trauma. And I've worked with trauma for 30 years. It's been one of my specialties alongside work with love, sex, and intimacy and communication. And a deep understanding of trauma is really an amazing lens to view through because I think maybe what we are used to calling ego is nothing but trauma, or at least it functions exactly the same way. It's just our contraction against being present, reaching out into the unknown, and following our authentic sensibilities, our embodied sensibilities. If we're reaching for those canned routines, if we're trying to control something, if we're seizing up, it's like a dissociative process. We're contracting. We're overstimulated. We're in some level of fight or flight. We have some kind of hypervigilance going. This is what it's like to have the traumatic state reactivated, and that's what we mean when we say we're triggered. So a lot of times our partner does something and it triggers us. And anything Okay, let me slow us. you down there, David, because you said yeah. so much just there. I want to slow you down a little bit. Um, <laughs> I know. This you, is a whole weekend You workshop. said a lot. Okay, so I love that you said when, when we're triggered, it's because of beliefs, identity, trauma, and there was a fourth thing you said. Do you remember? Conditioning. 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 So beliefs, identity, conditioning, or trauma. I mean, that is so beautiful right there. And those are the things that we need to look for, right? So when we're triggered, rather than jumping at our partner and blaming them for causing us to feel a certain way, that gives us a roadmap to step back and take a breath and think about what beliefs, how am I being overattached to my identity, what conditioning is speaking through me, and what trauma should I do some self-love around. Is that, am I getting that right? That's exactly right. You know, we have a pre-existing minefield of triggers waiting to get set off. And some person, place, or thing around us comes along and steps on one of those landmines, and all of our attention goes to the thing that triggered us and how can we get away from it or, or make it change or get it to change on the outside. What happened is our attention went into our narrative and our story and our interpretation and jumped away from what we're experiencing inside of ourselves because really yes, the trigger yes. is inside us. The, the, it doesn't matter yes. what they did. It could be good, bad, or indifferent. It's it's perfectly natural to need to tell people how to respect us better, how to make adjustments on the outside. But the part about us being triggered, that's inside us. Right. So after the trigger subsides, then we can go back and make a request from a calm place. Um, but I also like when you said contraction against being present. So these That's things, it. these beliefs, these traumas, these conditionings, they, they cause a contraction, and so we're no, we're no longer present for just what is. 
because of the stories, right? It's the stories that often take us out of that. We, we make up like if our partner is attracted to someone else, we make it me rather than just, oh, I'm afraid that they may spend more time with them, which is a valid fear. But then we make up a story that it's because I'm not lovable or I'm not skinny enough or whatever we make We up. do. We make up a story. The story is what we add to it. We think that, the sto- that, that there's a stimulus and then there's a response and that the stimulus calls the response. It isn't. Our emotions and thoughts are generally in response to the story that we're telling ourselves, what we make up about what just happened. We're not curious about it when we're in a state like that because we're scared. Right. So a lot of it is from the, you talked about the fight, flight, or freeze. And when I was at the camp last weekend, they added another one, appease, flight, flight, fight, freeze, or appease. I've never heard that one before. That's great. These are all the things we do as a result of early childhood trauma, right? Trauma can generally does start in early childhood, and it can be elaborated in all kinds of ways. And it's not something to be scared of. It's not something that any of us are free of. Really, here at tail end of a multi-thousand-year train wreck called patriarchy, where power relations being out of balance is normal. Trauma is ubiquitous, and we've normalized it through social routines that mask what we're experiencing. We don't notice that what we're experiencing is a disconnection from ourselves and the environment and living in the stories we're telling ourselves and all the emotions that start to ramp up around those stories. Right. That's really beautiful. Um, so I know we have a lot of people on the call with us, which is great, so I want to get some questions from people. But before we do that, um, is there anything else you want to tell us about your particular approach to awakened polyamory. Uh, anything else that you want to say about your unique paradigms of how you help people deal with triggers and trauma and such? You know, that particular workshop, the Tribal Eros workshop, does have a focus on some deep teachings about jealousy and the nature and species of different kinds of jealousy. Because jealousy is not one thing. It's like this bucket word that we throw a whole bunch of really different phenomena into, and I could say something about some of that later. I know some of the questions that already came in were really focused on the jealousy thing and really gets people's attention. The way that I work with any of this is really gently, and less is more, slower is better, and everything's about half presence. I work with a lot of love and a lot of humor and a lot of spaciousness and without judgment but really to help people to slow down what they're experiencing and bring their attention back inside their experience and notice the difference between their stories and their experience, which is a deeper well than we often think. (laughs) Yes, I'm glad that you talked about going slow because our minds go really fast, but our nervous system is way behind that. And a lot of these traumas, are kind of wrapped around our nervous system. So we're like these tender little hurt children. And I think when, when we feel really safe with someone, then we can breathe and go back into those feelings and separate them from the stories. Do I have that right? You have that so exactly right. And that's exactly what I did even just this morning with my beloved Lucy is that she really led the way for us. We 
You know, nobody, this doesn't end. Nobody, like, is free of being triggered. You'll find the Dalai Lama triggered on days. You know, <laughs> this is, but what grows is our capacity to stay connected with our, our actual being down below it and not taking the stories and the phenomena as seriously, knowing that there's something there to be skeptical of and to be interested in. But she made us right into a meditation about, like, the three- to five-year-old in each of us, which really helped us open to really healing and deeply reconnecting with each other when we were having an edgy moment. <laughs> well, I want to ask you a question that I, I ask a lot of people. Um, why would anybody want to be non-monogamous when it brings up so much trauma and hurt for people why why do we do why would people do this that to themselves <laughs> well many reasons simply because we notice we want it would be enough but certainly for the reason you just named those of us who are serious about our inner work will find a lot of leverage and opportunity to do that inner work to really become adept and skilled at communication and processing and healing or inner trauma together because what could be more precious than having a, a tribe of people who are, are skilled allies in spiritual awakening and who are not kind of measuring us against the way we conform to their pictures of the relationship movie they always dreamed of but instead, if we're in a triggered state, or if we're in a disagreement with them, this is an opportunity to support my beloved, to support my partner. This is great. <laughs> where, where, where's the way through for us? If we can see each other through those eyes, eyes of really wanting to allow the energy of life to move the way it wants to move because there's respect that there's intelligence in it, that we're not going to go roaring off the page and creating destruction and wreckage and, <laughs> and, and devastated hearts everywhere, because we actually do know better. If we trust what we feel, we'll be, no, I'm, I'm feeling an impulse, but what about my beloved? And how is this going to fit together? And we need to learn to do this from the inside, not from rules and standards and shoulds and shouldn'ts. And you better not or you're under the bus, buddy. You know, <laughs> we can get out of that moral hazard of deception and concealment that so many relationships live in. But there's no advantage to doing it as polyamorous, open relating. We need to do that work even if we're in exclusive relationships. And there's just a lot of opportunity for certain parts of the inner work in, uh, in polyamory. There's opportunity for other parts of the work This kind of increased leverage in exclusive relating. And, but in polyamory, we'd have the opportunity to do those parts of the inner work just in the seriousness of our commitment and our heart connection to any of the people we love. Right. Thank you. Um, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host, Sumati Sparks, at sumatisparks.com. We're speaking with David Amiri, who's been coaching individuals, couples, and polypods for at least 30 years. Um, we have some guests on the Zoom, and if you're not going to be speaking, if you could mute yourself 
until you're called on because there's some background noise. I would really appreciate that. Um, there should be a mute button on the uh, corner of your screen. Um, but I think it's about time to uh, let the rest of these people participate who have been so patiently waiting and listening. How does that sound, David? That sounds great. Yeah, I think they're already audio muted by uh, default. And I'm wondering how we can get our attendees uh, video active. I see uh, four people on the video. Oh, me too. Let me go to the gallery. Yeah, I have, I oh, see, here we are. We're I all in the video. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, hi, Tim. And there's some people. There's some people who are not on. Hi, Harry. So do you want to do you want to go ahead and call on people? Do you want to go ahead and call on people, yeah. David, or if you have a question, raise like, your hand. It looks like Eric wants to uh, to say something. You've got a question. Unmute yourself, Eric. How you doing, buddy? I haven't seen you in a long time. We can't hear him. Oh, we can't hear you yet. We can't hear you. Do they need to call in to the, the radio no, he, show phone his number? No, his audio was on, should be unmuted. Hmm. Well, look on your screen and see if there's a button that you can hit to unmute yourself or to turn on your audio. Can't. Can, does anybody else? I see Andrea. You know, like maybe. She's on mute. Do you have a? Oh wait a minute. Uh, Chantal can hear Eric. So how come I can't? <laughs> oh, because I'm on the telephone line, not on the Zoom line. You know what? I'm actually gonna have to change that. How can okay. I do so I can hear you all? That's really bad. Okay. Good. Talk to me, Eric. Yes, I can hear you. The volume is a little low, but I can hear you now. From a former ex-nice Jewish boy from Brooklyn and a former paramour, we remember. I do. Paramour. 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 Okay. Yeah, that's a that's a word that is used uh, by cutting minks. Refers oh, to gotcha. who is a lover of a lover. I've heard metamorphosis for that, but you know it's all just. show to pick up Eric. I have turned the volume up on my computer. Oh, so I, see. I think that you I think that David, I think you should only talk into Zoom and not the phone right now. Okay? I understand. So you want me to mute my phone? Your phone, yes. I'm muting the phone. Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to pick up the volume off my computer now. Go ahead. This is amazing technology. Yes. Hello. That's the question. Okay. On the line with us 
information about that I practice an open polyamory when she was needing a polyfidelity. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're going to negotiate and she's showing willingness to open up to that open poly model where I can, you know, date another. Do you have advice for us to, you know, to move towards that enlightened polyamory? Yes. Yes. Thank you. A lot of times when we get fixated on a form, and we do this all the time, a desire arises and we form a picture of it and we think, I need to go pursue that picture. That's how I'm going to get what I want. And now we think picture is the goal. What we really wanted is a feeling. We never want a form. We want a feeling. We just make a picture of what we think will get us that feeling. And so if we look underneath the pictures that we made of the forms that we're attracted to, we can find things that I really want to. I want to know that my partner is totally transparent with me. I want to know, you know, it's things like that that will move in a connected way, that you're not just going to go rambling across the landscape doing things that are going to be upsetting to me without checking with me. I like agreements about how, not about what. That's just how I coach people. Like to take it, like anything is on the table to say I'm wanting something, but we have agreements about when we say something to each other, how mutual the decisions need to be. Where, you know, but we don't have make joint decisions. We're all sovereign beings, but anybody I'm lovers with, and especially my wife, knows that I just, wouldn't want to. I wouldn't dream of doing anything in that level of relationship that would break it. But she also wouldn't dream of doing taking anything away that I really deeply want. So that's the basis of the trust. And that we what we do is we find a pacing and a manner of allowing that to unfold that we can both buy in on. Because we don't want to be in a power struggle. We want to have something we both can embrace and buy in. Thank you, sir. Great. Thank you. Excellent. Does anybody else have a question? Just listeners, huh? (laughs) Okay. Well, we're really glad to have you all here. Can you hear me okay, David? Okay, great. All right. I'm moving back to the audio for the call. I think it sounds okay here. Okay, well, I can stay here, and I can hear everybody. So if anybody else has a... Raise your hand. I can see all your faces at any time. Any of you who should be here and have me here. I know that somebody did send me questions about jealousy. Unless you have more questions for me, I could give you on the jealousy. Yeah, jealousy is a good topic. I also lead a workshop on jealousy, and I think it's important to... Um, deal with those underlying stories and like what you talked about the feeling state like what's going on are you feeling insecure do you need um, reassurance or you feeling like you don't have enough time like what's under if you take the the label of jealousy off like what's really going on on underneath emotionally but I think what's equally important and what I love that you include in your coaching is the spirituality Um, and I often give my clients the Zen Cohen, who am I to meditate on? 
because when we can get in touch with who we really are, we can have a taste of that infinite love that we were born with that gets so covered up by our conditioning. And so can you talk a little bit more about how the, the spiritual practice you, practices that you yeah. give your clients help them with jealousy? It's all spiritual practice when I address any of this. And the, the way that my attention moves, I think it's great to try to pay attention to the thing that is underlying all of it, those wonderful experiences that we long for. But really, a lot of times we form an ego ideal out of that or a goal out of that. It's like what we're experiencing is not really what we want. We want to get back to that experience of the thing we do. So we're missing the most important part. What are we experiencing now? What's in the way? We're rejecting that. That's the place where our connection with source collapses. It's as soon as we're pushing away any part of what we are experiencing. And the teaching around jealousy, how that works for me, what I notice through all these years of working with couples who live in myself and my relationships, you know, I work with couples, I give them you know, documents and processes and things they can do. And it's like, so these people have worked with me for a while. They know the sheet sheets. They've learned these tools. Why are they still having interrupts and breakdowns? And I wonder about that. And it's like, what's going on when they're still ending up in admission? The more I observed it, they were, I could boil it down to a very, very simple formula. When you're still in that enmeshment and you from another state, you have access to better ways to do it, to tools you could use, but you don't. What it means is one or both people, usually both people, are trying to extract one or more of three specific things from the external relationship that has to be self-sourced for you. It is a non-starter to try to get these things from the outside. And those things are security, self-esteem, and love itself. We're trying to get them from another. It's like here we are in this ocean of love that surrounds and connects us, and we are, I promise you. And we can feel that when nothing else is in the way. And we're trying to suck it through a straw from one particular person. And if something is not the way we would prefer with that person, we think our source of love is cut off. We're like having a panic attack. I can't get the love. I can't get the love. Give it up. Give it up. We're trying to tear it out of that other person. Same thing with security or what we call self-esteem, which is really the experience of our value. And as the Buddhists say, all things have self-existing, infinite, precious. There's nothing we have to do to get it or prove it or build it. It's just we'll perceive it if we look at it with open eyes, but we've had all kinds of troubles and ways that that gets interrupted, and we lose contact with the experience of our own value, and at the psychological level, that's called self-esteem issues, and now they're not giving us the strokes we want to fill this hole. And those three things are completely different ways that we all refer to jealousy, this jealousy issues is more like get your hands off my stuff. This possessive territorial jealousy. The self-esteem is often called comparison jealousy. Oh, if I have that they're ever around someone else, if they taste something else, they'll know that I'm not as good as that. 
and I won't measure up. So I'm going to lose it. And then this losing connection with that self-existing presence of love, which is the very essence of our being, or what we swim in, it's like what we would call abandonment jealousy, like that separation anxiety, that fear that we have to go through life like Siamese twins, and you have to always be next to me, and what will I do? I'll be worthless. I'll be lost without you. I'll be very sad if I ever lost my marriage, but I'll still have all of those things. I'll have to go my baby. I'll have to be to go through. And I will. And while I'm still experiencing the connection with my baby. And so it's a deep piece of work to really unravel how it is that our experience of those dimensions of our being gets tangled up. And that's why I do this work in terms of for weekend training. was going to be about community and how I feel it's so important when you're practicing ethical non-monogamy to not be isolated because our culture doesn't really support this relationship style as a whole. So to have some kind of a community or some kind of support group or, you know, ongoing connection with other people that are practicing this seems so important. And it sounds like your training includes that sense of community. Oops, my screen is frozen. Hmm. Well, it looks like the we have a little techni- technical issue with Zoom. So let's see if I can get David to uh, jump over to the phone right now so we can continue the interview. Um, so we're speaking with David Amiri, who really is an expert in polyamory. In fact, he... Um, he lived in the community that invented the word polyamory. And uh, I know that there was a, a land-based sex-positive community in the 70s. And um, so he's had a lot of experience with this. And we were talking about jealousy and all the different ways and, and tools that he gives his clients to work with jealousy, including the spiritual piece that we really are spiritual beings who, um, you know, we're really, when we're connected to our source, our God, our spirit, we are infinite love. And when we can fill ourselves up from that well of infinite love, then we can just give love and give freedom to people to be who they are. Um, But of course, that's easier said than done, because we have these childhood traumas, and we come from a society that doesn't really support loving that way. And um, we come from a, a culture that believes in monogamy and possessiveness, and um, we make up stories that it means something about me if my partner wants to be with someone else. I often say that 
if you if your partner comes to you and, and expresses that they have an attraction for someone else, um, if your response is anything other than, wow, that's really beautiful, then it's your stuff that you need to work on. And that may sound a little harsh, uh, but really when you're a little child, you know, you just love everything and everybody. It sounds like David made it back onto the phone now. Are you there, David? I'm back on the phone, yeah. You dropped, I'm sorry. Okay, I stayed so with we, the folks who are on the Zoom meeting. And I'm sorry, you what was that? I'm now with the folks on the radio. I stayed with the folks who were on the Zoom meeting, and you dropped off there. So then you, I know, now I we're all together now I'm going to have to log back into Zoom, but I want you to – I was just talking while I was waiting for you. So I want you to keep yeah. talking for the radio show, and then I'm going to log back into Zoom, okay? I was telling the folks on Zoom that what you said is so spot on and so important, and that that is how and why I'm restructuring the training the way I did, because it is uh, the community that is essential for really evolving together, because this is not stuff that everybody does, whether it's polyamory or spiritual awakening, or even owning up to the fact that we're experiencing trauma and triggers, and people have other ways of thinking about that that avoid the truth of it. And we are social creatures. We really do need each other, and there's no shame in that. And uh, we also love and enjoy each other, and it's just everything's better that way. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to be able to log back into Zoom because remember what I told you about the sensitivity? I'd have to log out of the radio show to be able to reboot my computer. So um, you can go ahead and well, stay on Zoom with the people. Yeah. Okay. But yeah. I will I'll They'll be listening the, to me. The they just may not hear you unless they also have the radio feed. But they can all watch the replay or something. And, you know, it's amazing how whatever happens there's a gift in it and you may as well go with it and make something good out of it <laughs> yeah, we, we have, yeah we have 10 more minutes so let's uh, continue our conversation um, what yeah. other what other tools do you share with your clients around jealousy or triggers or trauma you know the biggest tool that I share with anybody about anything is Learn to recognize the shape and the flavor and the smell of your own triggered states. And in my workshops, we do trigger mapping. We really identify what are the things that trigger us? What's that actually like? What is the experience of that like in our bodies, in our emotions? What are the behaviors that go along with it? What are the stories that we typically tell ourselves? And we learn to map this territory so that we can recognize it when it kicks in on us. And all of a sudden, we'll get that light bulb. Because step one is always notice you're triggered and own that. Because until you reach that stage, it's like you're on this freight train that left the station, and you didn't even know you're on it because your attention has left your experience and gone on board with a set of agitated stories and narratives and you're barreling down the road not even connected to your your experience and your heart anymore so first thing you know if you're there and you haven't noticed that you're triggered and owned it there's nothing for it someone else has to wake you up so Mm -hmm. i try to teach people how to 
how to notice that they're triggered, and what to do from there. I have a five-step process that I teach of where does it go from the point where you notice it, and how can you get more back in connection with yourself and more in connection with others, because there's different things that are right action with the part that's on the inside and the part that's on the outside, because (laughs) we don't want to throw... Uh, gasoline on the fire and we don't want to jump to conclusions and we want to have our relating and our communication with others unfold in a way that is most likely to bring forth more of what we would like, not fight against or judge or run away from what we don't want. And, exactly. uh, but we have to get a grip of our own self-connection in order to do that effectively. So we need to know how to take a time out and what to do for our self-care to get that show back right. on the road. Yeah, timeouts are very important. Um, but another question I have for you is I find that um, m- most people in our culture have no idea what they want, let alone how to ask for it. So, um, like, if, if I ask some, if I ask a partner, somebody that I'm dating, someone new, you know, so, and and I've had this experience recently with with um, potential metamors. Like, if I meet a new person that I want to date, and they have a partner, I might go to their partner and say, you know, what is your what is your boundary? Like, what's your growth edge? What are your needs around my interest in your partner? And they often say, Gosh, I have no idea, but thanks for asking. So my question for you is, how do you help people figure out what they want and then develop the courage to ask for it? Do you find that to be a challenge for people? And you might want to repeat the question so your Zoom people can hear it. I hear that. You know, that question in itself reveals some of the common ways that we think about this stuff. We really try to figure stuff out much too much. I don't encourage anybody to figure anything out. I encourage people to feel their way through it. Because what we want is a living energy, and we can always reach deeper into it and learn more about what we want by feeling it. Wanting is an experience, not a concept to be identified and analyzed. And <laughs> and, it does, and it changes. It changes moment to moment. It changes based on our state. Probably not radically, sometimes radically, from a very triggered state to a very open state, but mostly within a range, which is our range, which might be evolving over time. And I think it's less important to figure out what we want as though that's a destination or a static thing to understand, but more to follow the energy of passion and desire in a connected way, in a way that's mutual, in a way that we're connected with our hearts, connected with the hearts of those that we're moving amongst, just explore, because really, when we're in a more, the more awake we are, the more we realize all of these conclusions are kind of not worth much. What we're really left with is explore, experiment, adjust. It's like my holy trinity. It's a tricycle. We ride through life. That's all there really is. We can get to explore. What do you make of it? I don't know. What can I learn about it by exploring and experimenting? They can always keep making adjustments and just try to do that in a caring way through being connected mm-hmm. with our own heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to go talk to a potential metamor, rather than asking yeah. for specific behaviors that they need to feel safe, maybe it's better to talk to them about how they want to feel 
or just let them know I care about you and I care how you feel. Um, Forming, that, connection the right Forming connection and trust with anybody you want to be related with is primary. And with different people have different backgrounds, different vocabulary, They're, you have to play to the opening. You have to sense in a real-time connected way where's the opening for creating more connection with this person. And we really think we know much too much about uh, like how-tos. And I think that if we would only navigate in a connected way and trust what we feel, trust our senses, and, and pay attention to how it's landing, we would kind of find our way through those things one step leading to the next. One step at a time, go slow and think about how, what, what, what it's like I look for what am I moved towards? Like, why am I even here with this person? Am I fulfilling some agreement? Or it's like, no, this is a person I care about. This is a person who is beloved to my beloved. So I want to meet this person and see what's alive in our connection with each other. I might have concerns I want to voice, but I don't want to turn it into a picture. I want to actually just create connection with them and trust in a flow of communication. I want to hear their concerns and give them empathy. And if they're asking for something that doesn't feel natural to me to offer, like a kind of rigid kind of agreement that's not my preference, you know, I would actually give them some validation first. I would give them some validation and some empathy and try to find out more what they really want. Maybe not by pigeonholing and saying, well, that doesn't really mean anything. What's the feeling you really want? It's more like, oh, wow, I get it. You're not... You're, you're concerned that you wouldn't feel safe in a situation like this, you know, but I find that I, here's a way that I can feel safe in situations like that, and could you try that on? What would that be like? Or what would it take for you to feel safe? Would you feel reassured if you knew that we were going to be totally transparent about everything? If you knew that I'm a good guy, I'm not trying to hide the filly off from the herd and take her for my own. You know, what is it that you need reassurance about and you? Mm-hmm. Right. That's really helpful. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. Well, we are almost out of time, and I want to give you a chance to tell our listeners how they can reach you, and I believe you also have an offer. So um, you have, have two, two or three minutes, so go ahead. Thank you. Thank you, Simriti. First, just thank you so much. I just always really appreciate you and appreciate your show and appreciate the kind of people who show up and who are curious and interested about expanding to the leading edge of love or how we can experience more love and more freedom with each other. So thank you for what you do. And thank you. My website, yeah, my website is passionateawakenings.com. It's awakenings plural with the S. And if you go there, you can find your way around my whole world of things. I also love when people find me on Facebook and friend me or track my events there. I have a few different meetups, a few different Facebook groups, but there's my Passion Awakenings page and my homepage. And uh, I offer a free consultation. Right now, as I said, I'm offering some workshops, but the uh, the trainings are in the shop for uh, some retooling. And 
so I would really invite people to contemplate how I can help you individually or in your relationships. And I work with couples and pods and individuals. And the special offer is this. Like, if you come to one of my free consults within the next week, you've got to schedule it at least within the next week, and you decide to do session work with me, I'll give you an extra free session at the, you know, in addition to any package of sessions for the same price of my typical package of sessions. So that's a free session for you if you decide to do a package of session work with me while we're on that free consultation that I offer. So please do look me up and tell me what's on your mind, what you'd like to share or ask, and see if there's uh, a way that we fit together that uh, would benefit you. Awesome. Thank you so much. That's very generous of you, David. And I really appreciate you being, uh, being back on the show. And you really offered a lot this time. And thank you for the Zoom. And sorry for the mess up in the technology, but we got most of it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I wish you all the best. And I'll talk to you real soon. I'm sure we will. Okay, blessings. Okay. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you, everyone. Okay, so, so next week on Leading Edge Love Radio, I will be speaking with Angela Skurtu. She is from the Show Me State in Missouri, and uh, she specializes in helping people overcome incidents of infidelity, Um, and her tagline is, I open bedroom doors. So she's a couples therapist and a sex therapist specializing in infidelity. So tune in next week at the same time, 6 p.m. Pacific time on Leading Edge Love Radio, and we will have another go-around. Have a good evening, everyone.